Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. You know, I've been thinking. We've covered a lot of ground and have had a lot going on over the last few months. We've got a longer story for you this evening, too, so what say we give ourselves a break from the road, find ourselves a quiet hotel room, and kick up our heels for the evening? Relax a little. This week we're in Missouri, in Kansas City, Missouri. Let's see what kind of establishment we can find. Rolling into the parking lot of the Capri Motel, it may not be the homiest or most inviting place to stay. The crooked sign in the parking lot commands no guests, while the crumbling outline of what was clearly a pool at some point, and now filled in with concrete, is a bit of a ghostly reminder that this place has seen better times. And sure, even at first glance, it's clearly not the kind of place you'd want to spend a family vacation. But for those on a budget... The Capri's proximity to downtown Kansas City can be pretty hard to beat. So, when a man checked into the Capri Motel near downtown Kansas City, Missouri, on July 10, 2003, he wasn't looking for a five-star experience. I think it's safe to guess he wasn't after much more than a low-budget, convenient place to shower and lay his head in between conducting the business that had brought him to Kansas City in the first place. A place to sleep and not much else. And for that, the Capris seemed to fit the bill. After checking in at the sparse cinderblock box that served as the motel office, he tiredly dragged his bags up the short flight of steps and down the long exterior hallway to his room. The key jangled in the lock as he struggled to get the door open. And when the door finally creaked open on the small room where he'd be sleeping for the week, 
his exhaustion from driving all day, took over, and he hauled the bags inside and kicked the door closed behind him. He dropped his bags next to the worn dresser and flopped onto the bed. A waft of stale cigarette smoke, mingled with a subtle scent of sour rot, puffed up from the pockmarked comforter. Judging by the stains on the old threadbare carpet and the torn and tarnished furniture, the room hadn't seen an update in a long time. After a brief and futile search for the missing TV remote, he dragged himself up to the bathroom before flicking off the buzzing overhead fluorescent and climbing into bed. Despite his exhaustion, he didn't sleep well that night, though. The sensation of the thick, dirty air of the room filling his lungs with more than oxygen made it hard to truly relax. In the morning, as he prepared to head out for the day, he stopped by the office to request the staff give his room a more thorough clean. When he arrived back at his room that night, the room looked tidy. The bed had been made, there were fresh vacuum marks on the tired carpet, and new towels in the bathroom. But beneath the slight, lingering scent of deodorizers and cleaners, that sour smell remained. Frustrated at the thought of another sleepless night, he picked up the phone and called the front desk. Despite his pleas and threats, the front desk assured him they'd done everything they could with the room, that it couldn't possibly be as bad as he suggested. They'd send the cleaning staff by again in the morning, they said. Too exhausted to make the trek all the way down to the office to give them a piece of his mind in person, he resigned to make it through the night. Maybe he even sprayed a bit of cologne in the room to help mask the scent enough to give him a few hours sleep. But the day had been sweltering. The air conditioning, like most other things in the motel, didn't work, and the slight, warm breeze trickling in through the window did nothing to help the heat or the odor. The room was like a jungle, hot and humid, and the smell seemed to grow with every sleepless hour. After only a few fitful hours of sleep, the man, tired and angry, jammed his few unpacked belongings back into his bags and marched down to the lobby. He had had enough, he told them. He was cancelling the rest of his reservation and checking out. He'd find somewhere else to stay. There was something wrong in that room, and they had best do something about it. With some frustration from both management and the cleaning staff, a crew was sent to do another thorough clean of the room. But the second the door creaked open, it was obvious to the cleaning team there was something more seriously wrong with the room than just musty carpet and old linens. They searched the room, checked the garbages and plumbing, behind the furniture, but it wasn't until they finally decided to move the mattress that the ugly truth became glaringly obvious. Wedged in the wooden bed frame beneath the soiled mattress was a body. A body, the police determined when they arrived, that had clearly been there for several days, based on the advanced state of decomposition anyway. It's an urban legend that's cropped up multiple times, 
but the reality of spending two nights sleeping inches above a rotting corpse. Well, I think that transcends any fictional horror we could conjure up. Fortunately for us, though, children of the night, we won't be spending the night in the Capri Motel. It was torn down several years ago. But it just goes to show there may be more things to check under your bed for than the boogeyman. Let's hear some fiction. We have one long story for you this evening, which comes to us from Ambrose Stolliker. Ambrose Stolliker lives in the Pacific Northwest with his wife and son. He is the author of two horror novellas, Old Hollow, 2018, and The Death Shoot, April 2019, both from indie publisher Oriella Leo, LLC. His short stories can be seen in Stupefying Stories magazine, Weird City, Creepy Campfire Quarterly, Ghostlight Magazine, Sex and Murder Magazine, Hunger Magazine, Sanitarium Magazine, The Tincture Journal, Caron Coin Press's State of Horror, Louisiana, Volume 2 Anthology, and D.A. Owen Publications Horror Anthology, Muffled Scream 1, Corner of the Eye. He is a former newspaper reporter and magazine journalist and is currently at work on the second draft of a new horror novel. When he isn't writing, Mr. Stolliker works as a digital marketing manager at a global technology company. Children of the Night, join me for Ambrose Stolliker's The Shadow Man, a Tales to Terrify original. You ever hear the story of the Shadow Man, Doc? Dr. Judah Freeman looked up momentarily from his notepad to study his new patient, a short, dumpy-looking man named Justin Legreed. No. Why don't you tell me about him? Who is he? I don't know who or what he is, he said, agitated. I just know he killed my daughter and now he's after my other two kids. Interesting choice of words. Judas scribbled, Who or what is he? Shadow Man equals Boogeyman? Is this Shadow Man someone who broke into your house? Are we talking a home invasion scenario here? Something like that. He said as he wiped his hands on his sweatshirt. A worn gray thing with the words Legreed's Liquors and Wines, Seattle, Washington, printed on the front. The sweat from his palms left damp stains on the front of his shirt. It's probably easier if I just start at the beginning. Legree took in a deep breath as if stealing himself to tell his story. The first time I ever saw him was three years ago. The night we brought Linda home from the hospital. She was our first baby. I had a bad feeling right away, you know? As soon as I got out of the car, I felt like I was being watched. Like... Someone was there. I looked around, but there was nothing. No one. Like I said, it was dark and the street lights weren't working for some reason. I probably should have known then that something terrible was going to happen. In all the years my wife Jenna and I lived on Laurel Drive, I'd never seen the lights go off. All I wanted to do was get them inside, 
He paused. Anyway, as soon as I got them into the house and locked the door, I felt better. Not totally better, but I told myself I was just nervous because I was a new father. I read in a book before Linda was born that becoming a dad can make a guy ultra-protective, paranoid even. Is that true? Very true. That protective instinct goes back to the very beginnings of our evolution. Think of yourself as the man standing guard with a spear in the tall grass. Your job is to protect your wife and your child from the lions. It's an instinct that's helped us survive as a species. The man standing guard with the spear in the tall grass. Legreed repeated, I like that, Doc. I like that a lot. Please continue. Right. So the first night I saw him, the shadow man, I mean, I helped Jenna get settled with the baby in the nursery and then went downstairs to grab a bite. By the time I finished, it was close to 7.30. So I went back upstairs to check on them. Jenna was sitting in the rocker, nursing Linda. Legreed stopped and his voice took on a softer, gentler quality as he recalled the moment. I remember. Jenna looked so peaceful, so happy. She'd wanted a baby more than anything for a long time. I just stood there and watched her as she slept, and I felt so much love for her. The kind of love that can make a guy jump in front of a bus if it means saving his wife. You ever feel that way about a woman, Doc? Let's stay focused on you, Mr. Legreed. I hear you. Okay. So I was standing there, watching Jenna nurse Linda, and then I got that feeling again, like I was being watched. Like we were being watched. So I went to the window and looked across the street, and that's when I saw him. The Shadow Man. Describe him. The greed nodded. He was more like a dark silhouette than anything else. He was tall and had on what looked like a big black cloak, with one of those hood things over his head. Uh, wh what you call it? Jesus, what's the word? Uh, cowl? Yeah, cowl. Anyway, I couldn't see any hands or feet or anything in his face. Jesus Christ, I'll never forget it. Why? Because he didn't have one. Underneath the cowl, there was just this dark emptiness, like... I would have been able to reach my entire arm in there and still not hit bottom. You know, he didn't have eyes either, but for some reason, I knew he was looking at me. I knew it. How did that make you feel, what you saw? Scared at first. I thought it might be one of the neighbor kids screwing around. Their Halloween costumes are so friggin' lifelike these days, you know? Then I thought... Maybe it's not someone from the neighborhood. Maybe it's some nut. That's when I got pissed. I mean, it was our first night home as a family, and here's this asshole trying to scare me. So I went downstairs and opened the front door, ready to march across the street and pop in one. But he was gone. He just vanished into thin air. And get this, the street lights were back on. That is peculiar. What happened next? Nothing. For the longest time, nothing. Everything was normal. Jenna and I fell into the normal routine you'd expect with a newborn. Feedings every two or three hours, changing shitty diapers about just as often. 
basically getting no sleep for the next three months. He paused then, and it seemed to Judah like Legrede was trying to get up the nerve to continue. Then I saw him again. We were in our bedroom this time, Jenna and mine. We had a little co-sleeper in there because Linda just wouldn't sleep in the nursery for some reason. Damn crib cost over 400 bucks, and this kid refused to sleep in it. She just cried all friggin' night until we moved her into the master bedroom with us. Anyway, Jenna was just putting the baby down and I was in bed. I was about to nod off when I got that feeling again. You know, that we were being watched. Only it was more intense this time. I got up from the bed and went to the window, and there he was. Only this time he was standing at the edge of my driveway, looking right up at me. Did you confront him? Not right away. Jenna asked me what I was looking at, and I told her nothing. Just the neighbors putting out the trash. You lied to her? I didn't want to worry her. So I waited a few minutes and told her I had to take care of something in the garage and went downstairs. When I opened the front door, he was gone. Vanished. Fast forward three months, the baby's six or seven months old now and still sleeping in our room. I wake up in the middle of the night, but not to take a piss or get a drink of water or anything. As soon as I open my eyes, I know he's back. And he's not outside anymore. He's in the house. I'm sure of it. I get out of bed and walk to the bedroom door, and there he is, right at the bottom of the stairs, just standing there, not moving or anything. I remember it was cold out in the hallway, too. I could see my breath, even though it was the middle of July, and it was really dark. We have this big saltwater fish tank right at the bottom of the stairs with this huge light in it that I always leave on at night so we can see if we have to go to the bathroom or something. That's how bright it is. But that night, it was almost as if the thing at the bottom of the stairs was just sucking up every last shred of light in the room, like one of those black hole things in space. I was so goddamn scared, my legs started to shake. How the hell did it get into the house without setting off the alarm, which caused me good money, by the way? That's when I knew. Knew what? That whatever it was, wasn't of this world. He stopped for a moment and studied Judah's face, searching for reaction. Does that make me crazy? Mr. Legreed, Judah began, I try to avoid words like crazy or insane when treating a patient. They're inexact at best and misleading at worst. My job is to listen to what you have to say and then try to reach a medical diagnosis, if possible. Now, do you feel up to continuing? Yeah. All right. What did you do? Did you approach this intruder? Legreed shook his head. No, I started yelling at him. You know, tried to scare him off. Told him to get the fuck out of my goddamn house. Who the hell did he think he was? And I have a loaded gun and all that shit. Anything to get rid of him. Of course, that woke up Linda. The baby starts wailing at the top of her lungs. And that girl had a set of pipes on her. I'm not kidding you. So, of course, Jenna wakes up too. She calls my name and I tell her to stay in the bedroom. But does she listen? Of course not. 
They never do. I hear her get out of bed. So I go back inside and stop her from leaving the room. For all I knew, the guy had a weapon or something. And if anyone was going to get hurt, it was going to be me. What's going on? She asked me. Why are you yelling? I tell her, there's someone in the house and she needs to call the police. So she gets her cell and dials 911 while I go back to the top of the stairs and boom, he's gone. What did you tell the police? He let out a long sigh. I just told them that I thought I heard someone trying to break into the house and that I'd freaked out. They were actually really decent about it. One of them was an older cop and he said he had a family and he understood me wanting to protect my wife and kid and it was better to be safe than sorry and all that. I'll tell you though, Doc, that night I seriously wondered if I wasn't losing my frickin' mind. Another pause. Anyway, another three months go by, then another. I'm starting to think, hey, maybe I did imagine it all. Maybe it was just nerves like you said, you know? The guy standing with the spear against the lions. I was under a lot of pressure with the new kid and all the extra bills, so who wouldn't start to get a little funny in the head, right? He paused and his eyes became darker. One night, right after her first birthday, we put her to bed in the crib and then went back downstairs to watch a little Jeopardy. Jenna's a total Jeopardy nut. She'd had a few glasses of wine and was feeling a little, you know. So we went upstairs and went to bed. And that was the night Randy was conceived. He let out another long sigh. It was also the night he came back. The Shadow Man? Yeah, but I wasn't calling him that yet. Linda came up with that. Anyway, I was in deep sleep after Jenna and I made love. You're a guy, you know how it is. We do our business and then we're basically no good to anyone for at least an hour. But this time, something woke me up. I was cold. I pulled on my skivvies and went to the doorway and there he was, halfway up the stairs, just standing there, sucking all the light out of the room. Judah cut in before Legreed could continue. I'm confused about something. You said before that this dark figure seemed to absorb all sources of light. The street light, your fish tank. How could you see him then, since, as you said before, he was dressed in black robes? I don't know. It was almost as if he was darker than the night itself. I could see him, his silhouette, his shape, and I could feel him. It was so cold, I shivered. I went back in the bedroom and got my gun out of the closet. My wife was awake by then and she asked me what I was doing. When she saw me loading the gun, she freaked out. I told her that thing was back and I was going to take care of it for good this time. That I'd had just about enough of this shit and it was time to show this cocksucker who was the king of his castle. Legree's hands tightened into fists and his voice became low and hard. Then I went out into the hall and unloaded on him. I shot the bastard six times and it had no effect. No effect. Zippo. None. Except to scare the living shit out of Jenna and Linda. And me. I mean, if a goddamn three fifty seven Magnum couldn't do the job, what could? So I did the only thing I could. And that was... I locked the bedroom door, got in bed with him and prayed. 
About five minutes later, the cops were banging on the front door. When I went back out into the hallway, the thing was gone. I imagine it was a good deal more difficult to explain this episode to the police, Judah said. No shit. I fired my weapon six times, and, just like last time, there were no signs of forced entry. I spent the night down at the station answering 10,000 goddamn questions. The whole time worried that thing would show up at the house again while I was gone. That wasn't the worst part of it, though. After the cops let me go, I had to go home and explain what had happened to my wife. What did you tell her? I told her the truth. I told her exactly what I saw. How did she react? His voice became bitter. She told me I needed to go talk to someone. You need professional help, Justin. Go talk to a shrink, Justin. You're scaring me and the baby acting this way. I should have known better than to tell her what had happened. How did her reaction make you feel? It pissed me off, to be totally honest with you. I mean, I know what I told her sounded crazy, but whatever happened to stand by your man and all that crap? Legree's face grew even more dour. She learned, though. Boy, did she learn. Without being prodded, he continued with his story. I didn't see it again for two years. By then, Linda was three and Randy was about two years old, and they were both sleeping in our bedroom. We tried and tried to get Linda into the nursery, but she refused. She'd sit there in the crib and scream her goddamn lungs out as soon as we turned off the light. I even put a nightlight in there. You know, the kind that rotates and splashes the wall with animal patterns when it's turned on, but it wasn't doing any good. She wasn't having it. So we all ended up sleeping in the master. It was getting pretty goddamn crowded and Jenna and I had no privacy at all. We barely even did it anymore once Randy came along. I'm surprised we ever had a third kid after that. Jenna hadn't started showing yet, but she was already pregnant with Marcus. Did you resent Linda and Randy for this intrusion into your sex life? Legree shrugged. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it wasn't really their fault. It was that thing's fault. But a man has needs, you know. You're married. You know how it is. Judah paused. How did this man know he was married? Before he could ask the question, though, Legreed pointed at him. Your wedding ring, Doc. I saw it when we first came in. Oh, Judah said, letting out an uncomfortable laugh. Of course. Please continue. What happened next? Like I said, I didn't see the thing for another two years. It was right about the time of Linda's third birthday. Only this time, I wasn't the first one to wake up. Linda was. She was in the bed with me and Jenna. I felt her tug on my t-shirt. She was pointing at something and saying, Daddy, Daddy, Shadow Man, Shadow Man, Daddy. I looked up and saw what she was pointing at. He was standing in the doorway. Do you see him? Linda said to me. Yeah, I see him, I whispered back. Shadow man, daddy, shadow man. So I reached over and woke up my wife, and that's when he moved. Moved? Yeah, he just floated to the foot of the bed. He reached across the bed and wrapped his hands around Linda's throat. Only they weren't really hands. 
They were more like little black tendrils that looked like they were blown in the wind. Only there was no wind. And it was freezing. I could see my breath. Jenna screamed so loud, she nearly burst my eardrum. Linda started crying, then saying, Shadow Man, Daddy, Shadow Man, help me, Daddy. I wanted to look away, but I couldn't. She started to gasp and to fight for breath, and her eyes bulged, and she kept looking at me, and all I could do was sit there and watch her die. When he was finished, Legreed buried his face in his hands. He was racked with hard, heavy sobs for several minutes. Finally, he added yet another used Kleenex to the quickly growing pile on the table next to the couch. Sorry, Doc. Judah held up a hand. Don't apologize, Mr. Legreed. The death of a child is just about the most painful thing a parent can go through. Thanks for that, and I'm almost done. He rubbed his palms back and forth across the top of his jeans. When he was finished, the shadow man just stood there. His stare went from me to Jenna and then to Randy, who was crying his eyes out now. He stared at Randy for the longest time. He was just a little baby then, but I could tell he knew something terrible was there in the room with us. Something evil. That was when Jenna lost her shit. I mean, really lost it. She threw the sheets aside and jumped at the thing, screaming, You won't take my baby boy. Only when she jumped at it, she passed right through it. Like it was a cloud of gas or something. She hit the floor so hard she knocked herself out. Then, just like that, it was gone. I called 911 and they sent an ambulance, but it was too late. When the EMT asked me what happened, I just told them that Linda started gasping for breath and then stopped breathing altogether. A few days later, the medical examiner did an autopsy and told us Linda had died of a heart attack. I've never seen anything like it in such a small child, he told us. He didn't know the half of it. He paused. After that, the shadow man vanished for a while, a year, maybe more. This time, though, I knew he wasn't gone, so I tried to get help. I went to our priest and asked him to bless the house. You know, when they do that, they're actually performing an exorcism. I never knew that, and I went to Catholic school my whole life. Anyway, somehow I knew it hadn't worked. Judah interrupted him again. You say you knew it hadn't worked. How did you know? I don't know, but I just knew it wasn't enough, that my kids weren't safe. I knew that one day the shadow man would come back, and he did. One night, two months ago, there he was standing in the rose garden. The next day, I went down to the spot in the yard where I'd seen him and all the rose bushes had turned black. I didn't say anything to anyone, though. Not even Jenna especially not Jenna. She's never been the same since that night Linda died, and she's never talked about what she saw that night. I know she saw it, though, or she would have put up a fight about having a priest come over to the house. She didn't, though. She knew why I had them there, and she didn't say a word. What did you do next? Well, the way I figured it, I only had one play left. I thought maybe it was the place that was the problem, you know? Like maybe this thing was a ghost of someone who'd once lived there and he wanted us out. 
So I put the house on the market and moved us into a rental. He sighed. It didn't make any difference, though. He followed us. Now he's after my other kids. I know it. Legreed ended his story there and looked Judah in the eye. Well, Doc, what do you think? Judah chewed his lower lip for a few moments before answering. When he finally did, he measured his words as carefully as he knew how. Mr. Legreed, you asked me earlier whether I thought you're crazy. I told you that was too simplistic a way to interpret the story you just told me. So I'm not crazy? That thing really exists? Again, Judah didn't answer right away. I think you're having difficulty distinguishing fantasy from reality. I don't know enough about you yet to reach any definitive conclusion as to why that is. However, I do think you should come back and talk to me some more. Your wife as well, if at all possible. You said she saw the Shadow Man too, correct? I did say that, but you can forget it. She won't come. She doesn't even know I'm here. What about you? Are you willing to come back? Legreed shrugged again. I don't know. Judah put his pen and notepad aside and folded his hands in his lap. Mr. Legreed, the fact that you came to a psychiatrist, the fact that you had the ability to question whether you're crazy, are both strong indications that you have doubts about whether you really experienced what you say you experienced, and that you want help. Legreed didn't say anything. Judah looked at the clock. They were five minutes over the allotted session time. He gave Legreed a sympathetic look. I'm afraid we're out of time. He got up from the chair. You don't believe me, do you? You don't believe in the shadow man. Judah stood too. Like I said before, it doesn't matter what I believe or don't believe. He held out his hand. I hope you'll come back. Feel free to make another appointment for next week. Legreed shook his head. Thanks for your time, but you won't be seeing me again. No, I hope that's not true. I think I could help you. Legreed stopped halfway out the door and said over his shoulder, You've already helped me more than you could ever know, Doc. Goodbye. And... I'm sorry. Sorry for what? Again, Legree didn't answer and, a moment later, he was gone. When the door closed, Judah fell back into the chair, closed his eyes, and massaged his temples. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Judah found Sam sitting at a table at the back of the JM Cafe, one of the oldest pubs in Seattle. You look a little worse for the wear, Sam said, getting up and offering Judah his hand. Judah took it and sat down. I just had the strangest conversation with the patient. Wanna talk about it? Judah waved him away. No, it's all right. I just haven't encountered anyone that clearly disturbed since my days working the psych wards back in D.C. He shivered. It was real Edgar Allan Poe type stuff. I hope the guy comes back. He needs help. You sure you don't want to talk about it? Sounds like you do. No, thanks, though. You know what I want to talk about. Sam smiled. Let's order first. I'm starving. When the waitress came, Judah ordered a salad and a bowl of clam chowder. How the hell can you come to a place like this and order health food? Sam chided him. I'll have a bacon cheeseburger and a chocolate shake. Judah shook his head. Sam Bishop was almost 65 and pushing close to 300 pounds, yet he still ate like a teenager, smoked like a chimney, and drank like a fish. And somehow, his three-times-divorced mentor still managed to attract women less than half his age. Judah didn't know how he did it. You're going to kill yourself eating like that, he warned. You only live once, my friend, Sam said. So, Johns Hopkins? Johns Hopkins. When Sam was excited, he smiled with his entire face, and this was one of those smiles. Well, buddy boy, you're in. All you need is the recommendation from me. You're going home. Woo! Judah yelled, clapping his hands together and startling the waitress, who had returned with Sam's chocolate shake. Thank you, darling, Sam said, winking at her. The waitress, who looked no older than 23, smiled back and left. Judah shook his head, but the ridiculousness of their exchange did not dampen his spirits. I bet your wife will be happy when she hears the news, Sam said. She will be. Jillian's like me. She wants to go home. I mean, we've enjoyed our years here in Seattle, but we've had just about enough of the two-season climate. I want to see the leaves change color again. Well, this time next fall, you will. Judah clapped Sam on the back. Thanks, Sam. Your recommendation means the world to me. Haven't given it yet. Judah playfully punched him in the arm. Very funny. The waitress brought their food and Sam took a gigantic bite of his burger, which oozed grease, ketchup, and mayonnaise. When he was finished, he wiped his mouth and said, You sure you don't want to talk about this new patient of yours? Judah shook his head. No, I really don't. I'll probably never see him again anyway. He said he wasn't coming back. He said that? He took a sip of his soup. Yeah, it was really strange, too. 
He said something like, You've already helped me more than you could ever know. And then he said, I'm sorry, as if he were apologizing for some great wrong he'd done me. That is strange. You sure you don't want my help on this one? Judah nodded. Well then, I have some news of my own to share. Not as exciting as yours, but I wanted you to hear it from me first. I'm getting out of this racket, for good this time. You? Retire? It'll give me more time with my son. Sam had a four-year-old son from his third marriage, which had ended in divorce not long after the baby was born. And more time to write. I'm outlining a new book on abnormal psychology. Maybe you ought to introduce me to this fellow who gave you such a scare. He didn't scare me, Judah said defensively. His story was just unsettling, that's all. And I told you, I'm all right. Sorry, I shouldn't have joked about it. He waved his hand dismissively. Enough on that. Now, tell me how Jillian and the baby are doing. Have you two picked out a name yet? Jillian's good. Up and about now and pretty much recovered from the delivery. As for a name, no, we haven't decided. That child is over a month old. You are the only couple I know who published a birth announcement in the newspaper and didn't announce the baby's name. I know, it's ridiculous, but we really can't agree on one. I'm partial to Samantha myself. Judah shook his head. Anyone ever tell you you're an egomaniac? The baby was screaming. Jillian was already halfway out of bed when Judah put his hand on her arm. It's my turn, he said. She's probably just hungry. He looked at the clock on the bedside table. It read 2.43 in the morning. He got up. Out in the hall, the hardwood floors were cold under the bare soles of his feet. And he wished he'd remembered to put on socks. He found his daughter, Sarah, wailing and squirming like a little bug in her crib. Cold gray light from the arc sodium across the street mixed with the moonlight, reflecting off the calm waters of Silshoal Bay, poured into the nursery through a window over the crib. Okay, beautiful girl. Which is it? More formula or the stinky stinky? He lifted her out of the crib and held his nose up to her lower half. She smelled like rancid butter. Guess it's the stinky stinky. How the hell can a six-week-old kid generate this much poop? Unbelievable. He changed her and then held her close to his chest and started to rock her back to sleep. He was just about to lay her back down on the crib when the hairs on the back of his neck stood on end. The nursery was suddenly almost pitch black. Sarah let out a sharp cry, and Judah tried to soothe her. Shh, he whispered, frowning and looking out the window onto the street. The arc sodium had gone out, bathing the cul-de-sac in darkness. It took a few moments for his eyes to adjust to the darkness, and he continued to run his fingers through his daughter's ample head of hair, trying to coax her back to sleep. She would not be comforted, though, and a moment later, Judah saw why. Standing across the street next to his neighbor's barn-shaped mailbox was a dark figure. Judah did a double-take. Impossible. He blinked several times in the hopes that doing so would somehow make the figure disappear. But it didn't. It's staring at me, just like Legreed said. He shook his head. 
I'm seeing things. It's the sleep deprivation. It has to be. He rubbed the sleepy sand out of his eyes and looked back down the street. The figure was still there, staring. Jillian? He called. Hey, Jillian, come here. A muffled response from the bedroom. Huh? I said, come in here, will you? A few moments later, Jillian appeared, zombie-like, at his side. She pushed a few stray locks of red hair out of her eyes. What is it? Is the baby okay? Then, frowning, she asked, Why is it so dark in here? Shh, Judah said. Look outside. Do you see that? See what? She asked in a voice that cracked with impatience and exhaustion. She looked out the window. I can't see anything. It's too dark. What happened to the streetlight? Look down next to the Colson's mailbox. More awake now, she peered through the window again. A moment later, she jumped back, bumping into the side of the crib. Sarah cried even louder. What the hell is that? Judah didn't answer. Jillian put her hand on Judah's arm. Judah? What is that? He shook his head. I... I... uh, I can't be sure. His wife took the baby out of the crib and backed away from the window. Call the police. Judah didn't move. It can't be. Judah, call the police. The sound of Jillian yelling at him woke Judah up and he followed her back to the bedroom. A moment later, he was on his way back to the nursery, cell phone in hand. That's when he noticed the light from the arc sodium once again pouring through the window. He went and looked down across the street. The figure was gone. He searched his and the neighbor's yards and up and down both sides of the cul-de-sac for any sign of it. But there was nothing. It can't be, he said again. It can't be. Did you call them? Jillian called from their bedroom. It's gone, he whispered. Judah! She called again, her voice full of panic. Did you call them? Are they on their way? It's gone, he yelled back, giving the cul-de-sac one final glance before heading towards the bedroom. He found his wife sitting upright at the foot of the bed, rocking Sarah. It's gone. What was that? Jillian asked again. Judah sat down next to her, but didn't say anything. Judah, you said something in there. It can't be. What did you mean by that? Do you know what that thing was? Was it an animal or something? Judah turned to her, and she started to cry when she saw the haunted look in his eyes. Judah, it was some kind of weird animal, right? Right? He put his hand on Sarah's head. That was no animal. Judah spent the rest of the night standing at the window in the nursery, watching and waiting for the figure to reappear. Finally, just before dawn, he fell asleep in the wooden rocking chair in the corner. At seven, he woke to the sound of Sarah crying in the bedroom. He found his wife changing the baby's diaper, then went into the kitchen to prepare a few ounces of formula. As soon as the bottle's nipple touched her lips, Sarah closed her eyes and fell silent save for the soft sound of her gulping down the milk. What was that thing last night, Judah? You know something. I know you do. Tell me what it was. Judah sat on the edge of the bed and gathered his robe around himself to keep warm, his eyes on his slippers. 
He was quiet for a long time before launching into a short account of the session he'd had with Justin Legreed weeks before. When he was finished, Jillian gave him a look that was both incredulous and relieved. Well, I think I know what's going on then. You do? Yeah, she said. This guy Legreed is messing with you. That was probably him out there last night trying to put a scare into you. Why would he do that? Isn't it obvious? Not to me. Judah, the man is crazy. Jillian, you know I hate that word. Use whatever word you want. Unbalanced, soft in the head. I mean, who comes into a psychiatrist's office and tells that kind of story and isn't a little nuts? He just wants attention or something. You really think it was him? Who else could it have been? You don't really believe his story, do you? I don't know what I believe. Judah, come on. You're a doctor. Just a second, Judah said. You seemed pretty scared last night yourself. Now you think it was nothing? Just some guy in a funny suit or something? Well, I didn't know about this Legreed guy until just now. Judah sighed. Okay, Jillian, what would you like me to do about it? Call the cops. Get a restraining order or, or something. That's easier said than done. We don't have any evidence that it's him. We don't even have anything that proves anything happened. The cops won't just slap a restraining order on the guy on our word alone. Fine. Then go talk to him. Try to get him into treatment or something. He obviously needs help. I wouldn't know where to find him. You said he owns a liquor store or something, right? Maybe you could find out where it is. Judah thought for a moment. That's not a bad idea. He grabbed his cell phone from the bedside table, did a quick internet search, and then held up the phone's display to Jillian. Found it. Legreed's Liquors and Wines. It's in the industrial district, down near the port. He got up from the bed. I'll get dressed and go talk to him. Tell him if he comes near our house or our kid again, he'll have to deal with me, Jillian said. Who the hell does something like that anyway? Jesus, I can't wait to go back to D.C. You and me both. Twenty minutes later, he was pulling out of the driveway. While in the shower, he thought about his wife's interpretation of what had happened the night before, and the more he thought about it, the more it made sense. Legreed probably was crazy, and he probably was trying to put a scare into him. Certainly, that explanation was a lot easier to swallow than the possibility that Legreed's story was true, that the Shadow Man had come for Sarah. There was one aspect of what had happened last night that bothered Judah, though, that couldn't easily be explained. The arc sodium suddenly going out and then just as suddenly coming back to life? How had Legreed made that happen? As he pulled away from the house, Judah glanced up at the streetlight. It appeared intact and in perfect working order. Maybe he knows someone at the utility company. He sighed and shook his head. Yeah, right. And maybe you'll win the lottery tomorrow and retire to Virginia Beach. He took a right onto Seaview Avenue and headed south. It was an unusually bright, warm day for October, but Judah didn't notice. He was too distracted by what had happened the night before and nervous about the prospect of confronting Legreed on his own turf. His only source of comfort as he drove was the soothing female voice emanating from his cell phone, providing turn-by-turn -turn directions to his destination. 
15 minutes later, he passed the ferry docks, then the baseball and football stadiums, and entered Seattle's industrial district. The next thing he knew, he was parked across the street from a small lot with a post office, a deli, a smoke shop, and Legree's Liquors and Wines. He got out of the car and scanned the area. Everything the working man needs to slowly kill himself, all in one place. Now that's modern convenience. The sign on the door to Legree's Liquors and Wines read, Open. Judah took in a deep breath. Better get this over with. He exhaled and walked across the street, the grip on his car keys so tight he could feel them leaving deep imprints on his palms. When he came to the door, he slowed down and looked through the front window. A woman at the cashier's counter was handing change back to a man dressed in work boots, faded and dirty jeans, and a fisherman's sweater. There was no sign of Legreed. Judah waited for the man at the checkout line to leave and then went inside. An electronic bell chimed as he came in and the woman turned and watched him as he moved toward a section of shelves marked gins and vodkas. Her eyes narrowed and Judah hoped she had noticed the thin layer of sweat beginning to form just below his hairline. Help you find anything, mister? What? Judah said. It came out more like a yelp. Can I help you find something? Uh, no, thanks. He took a bottle of Kettle One from the shelf, then pretended to peruse the shelf labeled Whiskies for a moment before turning and going to the register. This everything? She asked, giving him a closer look. Uh, yeah, thanks. Haven't seen you in here before. No, I... He froze when he saw her name tag. Jenna. Most guys who come in here have on hard hats, so when I saw you, I knew I had a first-time customer. Hope you found everything you were looking for. When she saw the startled expression on his face, her voice took on a note of concern. Hey, mister, you okay? Judah's voice shook when he spoke. Yeah, I, uh, listen, is your husband around? The woman frowned. My husband? You a distributor or something? No, a psychiatrist. A psychi- She stopped short. A look of dread took over her eyes. Oh, God, please, you don't understand. We didn't have any choice. Suddenly, the nervousness Judah had felt gave way to simmering anger. Where is he, Jenna? I need to talk to him. I haven't seen him yet today. He doesn't usually come in till later. Judah shook his head. Don't lie to me, and don't make me call the cops. Then, with some bluster, I'm a psychiatrist. I could easily build a case for having your husband committed, so tell me where he is now. Her hand shook as she took her cell phone out of her pocket. He's in the back. I'm texting right now. Please don't call the cops. Get him out here, and I won't. A few minutes later, Legreed came through a door next to the walk-in refrigerator. He was dressed in the same jeans and sweatshirt he'd worn the day he'd come into Judah's office. Justin? Jenna said, scared. Legreed held up a hand. It's okay, babe. His eyes fell on Judah. What can I do for you, Dr. Freeman? I think you know why I'm here. Legreed motioned at Judah to follow him. We can talk in the back. I'm not going anywhere with you, Judah said. 
I came here to tell you to stay the hell away from my house and my family. I see you there again. I'm calling the cops. What? Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Like I told your wife, I'm a psychiatrist and it wouldn't take much for me to have you committed. Now that's bullshit, Doc, and you know it. Judah started to reply, but his voice caught in the back of his throat. He hadn't expected Lagreed to call his bluff. Yeah, Lagreed said. You'd think I'd come tell you what I told you without knowing what I was getting myself into. Judah didn't say anything. Lagreed gave him a smug smile. You did, didn't you? He shook his head. You took one look at the guy in the holy jeans and the crummy sweatshirt and decided you were automatically smarter than him, didn't you? Well, I got news for you, pal. You ain't that smart. Judah felt himself growing angry again. He pointed at Lagreed. Don't come near me or my family again. I'm warning you. Lagreed held out his arms as if in surrender. You're barking up the wrong tree, Doc. I'm not the bad guy here. Oh, I suppose the Shadow Man is the bad guy, right? That's right, and if you're smart, you'll listen to what I have to say. Judah decided to try another tack. Listen, Justin, you need help. You can't distinguish fantasy from reality. Lagreed finished for him. Yeah, you said all that before. Problem here is you're the one who can't distinguish fantasy from reality. You're crazy, Lagreed. Judah spat out as he turned to leave. He came to your house last night, didn't he? Judah stopped. No, you came to my house last night. I see you there again. I'm calling the police. Yeah, what are you going to tell them? You wouldn't be thinking about breaking doctor-patient confidentiality, would you? You do that and I'll sue your ass. Judah searched for a snappy retort, but once again, his voice caught in the back of his throat. Lagreed had him right where he wanted him. If he divulged any of what the man had told him in session, he could very well face legal action or lose his medical license. When he spoke next, he sounded pathetic. Why are you doing this to us? Lagreed shrugged. I told you, Doc. I already lost one kid. I'm not going to lose another. I did what I had to do. That doesn't mean I feel good about it. What are you talking about, Lagreed? You still don't believe me, do you? He looked at his wife, who, up until that point, had remained silent since Lagreed had come in from the back. Jenna prodded her husband. Tell him. Tell him why there's still time, Justin. Tell him what, Judah said, sounding both exhausted and incredulous. Look, Doc, what I have to tell you just might save your little girl. I don't believe this. Fine. Believe it. Don't believe it. It's not my problem anymore. Now kindly get the hell out of my store. He turned to leave, then stopped short and said, Oh, the vodka's on the house. Trust me. You're gonna need it. Judah had forgotten all about the bottle of Kettle One. Jenna put it in a small brown paper bag and held it out to him. Legree turned around and disappeared into the back of the shop. I'm so sorry, Dr. Freeman. We just couldn't take losing another child. Judah stood at the counter completely flummoxed. Please, Jenna said, her eyes pleading. I know you're angry with us. I know you don't believe us, but there is a way to ward him off. Ward him off? Send him somewhere else? How? 
Judah asked. Exhaustion from the utter insanity of the conversation creeping into his voice. Tell the story to someone else. Someone with kids. It's the only way. It's how that thing keeps going. Judah's eyes lit up then. That's why you picked us, isn't it? You must have known we just had a baby. We saw the birth announcement in the newspaper. If what you say is true, then someone must have told you this crazy story at some point. Who was it? Doesn't matter, doctor. Will no one that save your baby girl? Judah took the bottle of Kettle One out of the bag, opened it, and took a long pull. You and your husband, the two of you really believe this story. Don't you know how insane this all sounds? All I know, doctor, is that thing killed my little girl, she replied, her voice choked with sobs. Judah studied her eyes for any note of falsehood, but she didn't display any of the telltale signs he had observed thousands of times before from patients who were lying to him or lying to themselves. There was no blinking, no stammering, no averting of the eyes or clearing of the throat. Nothing he'd seen in all his years as a psychiatrist. She's telling the truth. Or she thinks she's telling the truth. He shook his head. Well, that's great. Just great. Either you and your husband are crazy and have it in for my family for some unknown reason, or the shadow man really exists. Either way, I'm fucked. Thanks for nothing. Are you drunk? Jillian said, her blue eyes flashing disbelief. That's right. Judah was sitting at the kitchen table. He threw back a shot glass full of kettle one and looked at his wife, who stood over him with Sarah in her arms. It's been kind of an insane day, so I thought I'd come home and drink a little. That's wonderful, Judah. Some crazy man terrorizes us, and your idea of dealing with it is to get shit-faced? Judah poured himself a second shot, downed it, and then offered her the bottle. Very funny, she said. What are you going to do about this? What can I do? The son of a bitch is absolutely right. I could call the cops, but what would I say to them? If I disclose anything he told me in confidence, I could be in deep shit. You can bet I'd lose the fellowship at Johns Hopkins. If word got out, I'd done something like that. Hell, I'd be lucky not to lose my license. Jillian started to pace back and forth, bouncing the baby as she moved from one of the kitchen to the other. This is unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Judah went to her and put his hands on her shoulders. Look. Maybe it doesn't matter. We're going to be out of here soon. You really think this nut is going to follow us all the way to D.C.? Who knows what he'll do? Honey, I don't know what you want me to do. He threw his hands up in the air. If he comes back, I'll go out there and confront him myself, okay? You just did that. How'd that work out for you? What the hell do you want from me, Jillian? Judy yelled. I don't have a better answer. Sarah started to cry. Great, Jillian said, her eyes full of venom. Look what you did. She stormed out of the kitchen. Jesus, I need a drink, he said, reaching for the bottle of Kettle One again.
Judo woke several hours later, slumped over the desk in his office. His head was pounding. The Kettle One bottle sat next to his laptop, three quarters empty. He couldn't remember when exactly he'd staggered out of the kitchen, but his watch read 9.36 in the evening. Using his desk for support, he got up out of the chair and navigated out of the office and down the hall to the master bedroom. He hadn't gone more than a few steps when his stomach reversed gears and he felt the contents of his breakfast and liquid lunch coming back up. He just barely made it to the bathroom in time and spent the next 20 minutes retching over the toilet. When he finally lifted his head, he found his wife standing over him with a serves you right look on her face. Close the door if you're going to do that, she said, her voice utterly devoid of compassion. You'll wake Sarah. Judah felt so awful, he didn't have the energy to fight back. Instead, he simply nodded and turned his face back toward the toilet when Jillian closed the door. It took another half hour for him to feel strong enough to get to his feet, open the medicine cabinet, and force a pair of Zantax down his throat. Even the taste of the water on his tongue made him feel queasy. When he was sure he was in decent enough shape to make the short walk to the bedroom, he gave the toilet one final flush, turned out the light, and wobbled out of the bathroom. A few minutes later, Jillian turned away from him when he sat down on the side of the bed and leaned over to untie his shoes. He was tempted to say something snarky to her, but the baby, letting out a shriek in the nursery, nixed any chances of him getting into it with his wife again. Instead, he got up and went to check on Sarah. He was just a few feet from the crib when goosebumps formed on his arms. It was a clear night with a full moon, yet the nursery was somehow nearly pitch black. He pushed the curtains aside and peered into the darkness. There he was, standing at the edge of his driveway. The greed, he said through his teeth, his senses suddenly working overtime. He picked up Sarah and stalked back into the bedroom and flipped on the light. Wake up, Jillian. Huh? She said, lifting her head and shielding her eyes from the sudden bright light. Judah all but shoved Sarah into his wife's arms. Take her. What's going on? He's back. Legreed's back. Where are you going? To take care of this once and for all. Judah? He stomped down the stairs and made his way to the garage, searching for anything that might serve as a weapon to put a scare into Legreed. After a moment, his eyes fell on a tire iron leaning against the wall in the corner of the garage. Perfect. He took it in hand, unlocked the garage, and pulled it open. Please let him still be there. Please just let him still be there. He was. It was darker than he'd ever seen it before, but Judah didn't care. Whatever tricks Legreed was using to knock out the arc sodium across the street were about to end. He had had just about enough. All right, Legreed, I'm giving you five seconds to get the hell out of here, and then I'm going to bash your brains in with this thing. He said, brandishing the tire iron as he approached. The figure at the edge of the driveway ignored him and remained still and silent, its gaze fixed on the window belonging to the nursery. When Judah saw where he was looking, he became enraged. He wasn't going to let this bastard threaten his wife and his baby girl anymore. Almost on him now, Judah seethed. Last chance. The figure said and did nothing. 
Fine. You asked for it. He raised the tire iron and swung as hard as he could, expecting to hear the sickening sound of Legree's skull caving in under the force of the blow. Instead, the tire iron passed clean through the figure's head, and the next thing Judah knew, he was on his hands and knees. The tire iron lay a few feet away. How the hell did I miss him that close? He picked up the tire iron and faced the figure again. Its gaze was still fixed on the second floor nursery window. Son of a bitch! Judy yelled as he swung the tire iron again. This time he not only lost his grip on the iron, but watched as it went flying across the street and landed in the Coulson's hedges. Legreed, he said to the figure, is that you? The figure remained silent. It's one of those hologram things. It has to be. Legreed hooked up a projector or something nearby. He looked around, but the darkness was almost impenetrable, and even as he did so, he didn't believe what he just told himself. Legreed simply wasn't that sophisticated. Judah reached toward the figure. The closer his hand got, the more painful the cold became. His hand felt like it was submerged in sub-zero water. He snapped it back and slowly started to move back towards the garage. At some point, he lost his footing and fell, forced to make his retreat on hands and knees. Back inside, he slammed the garage door shut and locked it. When he looked out the window, the figure was still there. Oh, God, he whispered. Oh, dear God in heaven. Judah? The sound of his wife's voice caught him off guard and nearly sent him into cardiac arrest. Jesus Christ, what the fuck are you doing down here? She had the baby in her arms. Her voice trembled when she spoke. I saw you from the window. I saw what happened. What is that thing? He took her by the arm and pushed her back into the kitchen. Get back inside, will you? Under normal circumstances, Jillian would never have stood for being manhandled in such a way, but she was too frightened to protest. Judah, tell me what's out there, please. Judah didn't say anything. Instead, he went to the window. The figure was still there. Judah! He turned to her. I think Legreed may have been telling the truth. How is that possible? I don't know. I really don't know. Jillian fell into a chair at the kitchen table and began to cry. He wants the baby, doesn't it? Judah looked back outside. The figure's gaze was now fixed on the kitchen window. From behind him, he heard her ask, What are we going to do? I'm not going to let him hurt Sarah. I promise you that. I will not let him hurt Sarah. He fixed a hard stare on the figure at the edge of the driveway. Then he drew the curtains and put his arms around his wife and daughter. I think I know how to stop him. Jillian was immediately awake. You do? How? Judah relayed what Jenna Legreed had told him. When he was done, she asked, You're sure it's the only way? I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I can tell you is what the Legreed woman told me. She was silent for a long time. Then finally she said, well, we have to do something. I don't know if I can do it, Jillian. Put another innocent child in danger. What about our innocent child? Jillian. If you don't do it, Judah, I will. You could do that. She's our daughter. What choice do we have? Judah sighed, exhausted. How the hell is any of this possible? 
We all going crazy? I thought you hated that word. I'm beginning to see its value. Judah, she's our daughter. He closed his eyes. After a moment, he said into the darkness, I'll take care of it. Judah glanced at his watch. Sam was almost 20 minutes late. You could fault the man for a lot of things, but not being punctual isn't one of them. I wonder what happened. He checked his cell phone for text messages and emails, but there weren't any. Where the hell is he? Judah. He turned. Sam was coming toward him with his four-year-old son in his arms. Judah felt the pit drop out of his stomach when he saw the boy. Sam stopped a few feet away from their usual table at J&M. Jesus, are you all right? Huh? You really pale. You look like you're about to throw up. Judah's eyes went from Sam to the sleeping child in his arms and back to Sam. I'm okay, he said feebly. Sam took his seat. I'm sorry I'm late. My ex left me with this one at the last minute and I had to go pick him up. No problem, Judah croaked. He averted his eyes, too afraid, too sick to his stomach, to get too close a look at the face beneath the layer of tousled brown hair. Think about Sarah, he told himself. Think about Sarah and what will happen to her if you don't do this. Are you sure you're all right? You didn't sound too good on the phone, either. I, uh... He'd rehearsed what he was going to say 50 times on the way over to the cafe, but now he found the words wouldn't come. Judah, it's okay. I'm your friend. You can tell me. What's wrong? Is it the Johns Hopkins Fellowship? You don't have to worry. It's all squared away. Judah shook his head. No, it's not that. We're all pretty much packed. What then? He looked out the window, unable to meet his friend's gaze. You remember that patient I told you about the last time we were here? Vaguely. You didn't tell me much about him. You just said he was strange. Why? Did he come back? No. No, he didn't. But what he told me, it's kind of gotten under my skin. I can tell. You look like you haven't slept in about a week. What did he tell you? Judah didn't answer. Judah, what did this man tell you? An image of the shadowy figure went through his mind, but he wasn't across the street or at the edge of the driveway or at the foot of the stairs. He was in the nursery, floating above the crib, his wispy black tendril of a hand wrapped around Sarah's throat. Judah? Judah fought back the urge to cry and felt his voice break. Have you ever heard the story of the shadow man? That was Ambrose Stolliker's The Shadow Man, as read by Brian Rollins. Brian Rollins is a voice actor residing in Denver, Colorado. He's voiced over a dozen audiobooks, including the popular Glenn and Tyler series. Horror fans will want to check out his latest narration, Ancient Enemies, by Brian McKinley, a vampire political thriller. You can visit Brian at his website, thevoicesinmyhead.com, or on Twitter, at Voices of Brian.
Thank you, Brian. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of stories to tell, for now. Don't forget, if you have some terrifying tales of your own, we'd love to hear them. Visit our website and click on the submissions link to find out how you can share your work with us and have it piped into the ears of eager listeners, like yourself. Also, we would love it if you would join us on our Patreon page. Even just a dollar a month means so much to us and gets us one step closer to making this podcast bigger and better than ever. You can support us in other ways, too. Like us or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews help keep us on the charts so we can worm our way into the ears of new listeners. Our show is produced by our editors Seth Williams and Pete Morsellino, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. Join us again next week as we creep into your dreams with more Tales to Terrify. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 